0: Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Homeless at Christmas. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, December the 20th, 2015, the fourth Sunday in Advent. At Christmas, we talk about peace on earth, But peace seems awfully elusive these days. Syria has become what the former Secretary of State Warren Christopher once called a problem from hell. Assad's government now controls only about 16% of the country's territory. (coughs) 250,000 Syrians have died. 7.6 million have been internally displaced, and another 5 million have fled the country. That's over half of Syria's population. The people left behind face shortages of food, water, shelter, and sanitation, all in an environment of war, crime, and disease. And worldwide, about 60 million people have been forcibly displaced from their homes. This week, I read that in this year alone, over 3,000 people have died trying to cross the Mediterranean Sea to Europe, more than the number who died in the four attacks on 9-11. Many have drowned in sight of the islands of Lesbos in Greece and Lampedusa in Italy, a dozen have died in or around the Channel Tunnel. In Austria, horrified officials found 71 migrants dead in an abandoned meat truck. Many more in this river of 4.1 million refugees have died from exposure. I'm not on Twitter or Facebook, but after terrorist attacks in Nigeria, Sharm el Beirut, Paris, Ankara, in Bamako, I saw the perfectly sardonic post. It read, It's too bad that we don't have a narrative about Middle Eastern refugees spurned by society to help us think about these tragedies. Well, of course, that's exactly what we do have. For those of us who wish that our foreign policy was informed by our faith, we could begin with the Hebrew word ger, alien, or immigrant, which occurs 92 times in the Jewish scriptures. And similar words like toshav, migrant, czar, stranger or outsider, and nokri, the word for foreigner. The message was clear. Don't oppress the stranger. Have mercy on them, for you too were once aliens. And then there's our own Christmas story. The last few weeks I've been meditating on five Christmas poems by G.K. Chesterton. I've been struck how Chesterton combined a gritty realism about our wild and weary world with a paradoxical faith in the child in a foul stable. Chesterton lived through the horrors of World War I. He experienced firsthand what one of these poems calls the terrible tongues uncurled and the mad gods of violence. He distrusted the stern and cunning kings and the black dogmas that crush us and mar. He lamented those he described as the bleak reasoners who scorn. Chesterton nonetheless avoided two perennial challenges. First, sentimentality about the gospel, the dreaded hallmark effect, and secondly, despair about the world. His poems exemplify what the poet Christian Wyman calls speech that is true to the transcendent nature of grace, yet equal to the hard reality in which faith operates. I especially like Chesterton's poem, The House at Christmas, about the homeless Mary and Jesus in the crazy stable. It helps me to think about the 60 million forcibly displaced homeless people in the world who are simply looking for a safe place. Listen to his poem. There fared a mother driven forth out of an inn to Rome. In the place where she was homeless, all men are at home. The crazy stable close at hand, with shaking timber and shifting sand, grew a stronger thing to abide and stand than the square stones of Rome. For men are homesick in their homes, and strangers under the sun, and they lay on their heads in a foreign land whenever the day is done. Here we have battle and blazing eyes, and chance, and honor, in high surprise. But our homes are under miraculous skies, where the yule tale was begun. A child in a foul stable, where the beasts feed and foam. Only where he was homeless are you and I at home. We have hands that fashion And heads that know but our hearts we lost how long ago in a place no chart nor ship can show under the sky's dome this world is wild as an old wives tale and strange the plain things are the earth is enough and the air is enough for our wonder and our war But our rest is as far as the fire drake swings, and our peace is put in impossible things, where clashed and thundered unthinkable wings round an incredible star. To an open house in the evening, home shall all men come. To an older place than Eden, and a taller town than Rome. To the end of the way of the wandering star, to the things that cannot be and that are, to the place where God was homeless, and all men are at home. Of course, Joseph and Mary were literally homeless when they were turned away by the innkeepers. Others of us are figuratively homeless, as Chesterton puts it, homesick in our homes. The baby Jesus was homeless in a foul stable where the beasts feed and foam. And even 30 years later, the peripatetic Son of Man still had, quote-unquote, no place to lay his head. In this place where God was homeless, says Chesterton, all men are at home. Home is a place of safety, comfort, and provision a place where we experience unconditional acceptance. In his poem, The Wise Men, Chesterton described it this way. The house from which the heavens are fed, the old strange house that is our own, where trick of words are never said, and mercy is as plain as bread, and honor is as hard as stone. This is the story of the prodigal son who's shocked to find his father waiting to welcome him back home. Matthew's nativity narrative is pitched to a Jewish audience and full of political ironies. The Holy Family fled to pagan Egypt for protection, Israel's symbolic enemy that had oppressed the Jews for 430 years. The place where Pharaoh had unleashed his own infanticide against the firstborn Israelite children became a refuge for the baby Jesus. Luke announces the good news to all humanity. Some people would limit the divine love and the Father's welcome home, but not Chesterton. In his poem called The Truce at Christmas, he draws a stark contrast. In a refrain that he repeats three times, he contrasts those who were quote unquote four people with those who hate and divide us here's one stanza of the poem for we are for all men under the Sun and they are against us every one and the men that hate herd all together to pride and gold and the great white feather and the thing that is graven in star and stone that the men who love us are all alone Indeed, the haters hate us, says Chesterton, precisely because we love them all. For the weekly Eucharist at my church, we leave our pews and gather around the altar. We then, by giving pride of place to our children, literally and liturgically, by inviting them to join us at the innermost center of our circle, we then sing a short chorus that's a marvelous summary of the Christian Christmas message. God welcomes all, strangers and friends. His love is strong, and it never ends. It's a simple message. God welcomes all. And so Chesterton writes in another poem, So very simple is the road that we may stray from it. In fact, it's much too plain to say, says Chesterton, for those who prefer something subtle or sophisticated. Christmas, in the end, means that in the place where God was homeless, all people are welcomed home. For G.K. Chesterton's five Christmas poems, I encourage you to visit our Advent Poetry page. For books this week, we have a guest book review by physicist Brad Keister. Brad Keister and his wife Katie worship at Washington Community Fellowship on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. This week, Brad reviews a book called The Fellowship The Literary Lives of the Inklings by Philip Zaleski and Carol Zaleski. New York, farrer Strauss Giraud, 2015. This book is 656 pages. This new book, called The Fellowship, chronicles the path of four gifted writers, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, and Charles Williams, and the crucible in which they altered each other's lives. The Inklings as a group did not have a formal organization with written meeting transcript. It's not even clear exactly when or how the group formed. And it was one of several meeting clubs, and so the authors of this book have built a narrative using the biographies of the individuals and their known relationships. What is known is that these four writers, plus others who migrated in and out, met regularly at Lewis's room at Maudlin College, Oxford, and also at the Eagle and Child Public House. Their conversations ranged widely over topics of common interest, but what gave the group a legacy was their reading and criticism of works in progress. In the words of C.S. Lewis's brother, Warney, we were no mutual admiration society. Praise for good works was unstinted, but censure for bad work, or even not-so-good work, was often brutally frank. To read to the Inklings was a formidable ordeal. Nonetheless, these meetings in fact nurtured works like The Hobbit, then Lord of the Rings, and the Narnia Chronicles. In those years, Tolkien also subverted the prevailing view of Beowulf in the literary academy, and established it as a great work. The brutal frankness of those meetings extended beyond the literary universe of the Inklings, to the very core of deeply held individual beliefs, and challenged their friendships. Indeed, after following the narrative of these talented, strong-willed men, it is perhaps a wonder that the Inklings held together long enough to produce anything of lasting value. All four men were Christians, with a meeting of the minds at least at the point of the Nicene Creed. But their differences were also profound and could not be dismissed as academic niceties. As the Zaleskis write, Tolkien was Catholic, Barfield, anthroposophist, Lewis, a mere Christian, and Charles Williams, Anglican with a dash of ritual magic. Their differences in beliefs about first things and about the very nature and purpose of literature itself, strained their relationships and in turn contributed to the gradual decay of the Inklings, punctuated perhaps by Williams' death in 1945, with the remaining three writers increasingly occupied by aspects of their separate lives. So, The Inklings represent a point of convergence that occurs from time to time over the course of history, one that brings together a group where the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. According to the Zaleskis, their impact is still working itself out. They provide a return to the fundamentals of story in exploring its relationship to faith, virtue, self-transcendence. And hope and have recovered archaic literary forms not as an antiquarian curiosity but as a means of squarely addressing modern anxieties and longings. The title of the book, The Fellowship The Literary Lives of the Inklings, the authors are Philip Zaleski and Carol Zaleski. A guest. Book review by physicist Brad Keister. For films this week, I review a title Don't Tell Anyone. In Spanish, No le digas a From the year 2015. What's it like to live as one of the 11 million undocumented immigrants in America? You can't drive without a license, can't get a job without a social security number, apply for financial aid, or even board an airplane, and you can forget about voting. This PBS documentary, which aired in September of 2015, tells the story of one such person, Angie Rivera, who was now age 25. When she was three years old, Angie's mother sold everything she had and moved from Columbia to New York City. They became a mixed-status family. She and her mother were undocumented, while her three siblings, having been born in America, are all citizens. Angie was raised by her mother to believe that silence was the key to survival, and thus the title of the film, No Le Digas a Don't Tell Anyone That You are Undocumented. When Angie took a page from the LGBTQ community and held a coming out event, her mother was terrified. After a front page article in the New York Times that featured Angie, her advice column for undocumented youth, a blog, and a YouTube channel, Angie became both an icon and an activist for undocumented people in America. This film does not suggest any legislative proposals for this complex matter, but it does put a human face on the issue. And for Christians in particular, there are some powerful precedents in our sacred scriptures. We read, for example, in Exodus twenty-two twenty-one, Do not oppress the foreigners in your country, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. In fact, there are over a dozen scriptures that speak specifically about the Hebrew treatment of aliens. Once again a PBS movie documentary called Don't Tell Anyone. And finally, for poetry this week, we've posted a poem called Christmas by John Betjeman. He lived from 1906 to 1984. The bells of waiting advent ring, the tortoise-stove is lit again, and lamp-oil light across the night has caught the streaks of winter rain, in many a stained-glass window sheen from crimson lake to hooker's green. The holly in the windy windy hedge and round the manor house the yew will soon be stripped to deck the ledge, the altar, font, and arch in pew. So that the villagers can say, the church looks nice on Christmas Day. Provincial public houses blaze, corporation tram cars clang. On lighted tenements I gaze where paper decorations hang. And bunting in the red town hall says Merry Christmas to you all. And London shops on Christmas Eve are strung with silver bells and flowers. <coughs> As hurrying clerks the city leave to pigeon-haunted classic towers. In marbled clouds go scudding by the many-steepled London sky. In girls in slacks remember dad, and oafish louts remember mum. In sleepless children's hearts are glad, and Christmas morning bells say Come even to shining ones who dwell safe in the Dorchester Hotel. And is it true this most tremendous tale of all, seen in a stained glass window's hue, a baby in an ox's stall, the maker of the stars and seas become a child on Earth for me? And is it true for if it is, no loving fingers tying strings around those tissued fripperies, the sweet and silly Christmas things, bath salts and expensive scent and hideous tie so kindly meant. No love that in a family dwells, no caroling in frosty air, nor all the steeple shaking bells can with this single truth compare that God was man in Palestine, and lives today in bread and wine." The title of the poem, Christmas, by John Betjeman. Like all our poetry, available on our poetry page. And thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for the fourth Sunday in Advent, December 20th, 2015. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.